history is being made today, October 17th, 2021. The Mavs just finished their first ever undefeated preseason in franchise history. Such a significant achievement that Skin Wade and I have come out of retirement. We are recording a brand new episode of Numbers on the Boards. Oh my God, Skin. This is just... This is this is registering on the on the Richter scale. This is like a seismic event right now. How do you feel? I feel amazing to steal a uh, a phrase from my radio partner Ben Rogers. Whenever we're doing something like this, he goes, "Man, we're walking on the moon here," and that's really what it feels like. If you and I were in the '60s, we are walking on the moon here, and it's amazing to have numbers on the boards get fired up for the 21-22 season, which you and I are both very much ensconced in the camp of awesome things will happen. Dude, this is like the, this is the fifth season of this podcast, I think, because we started awesome. in 2017-18. Our first ever episode was with uh, Portland Trailblazers great Dennis Smith Jr. That's right. Talking about music, Styles P, um, all that yeah. stuff. That was, a, that was a great episode. And here we kick off season five, and it's a little it's a little different this year. You're going to be able to catch numbers on the boards on Spotify or iTunes or the podcast platform of your choice. But you'll also skin yes. be able to see us on YouTube, and more importantly, and more in the moment on Twitch, because we're launching Studio Forty One, baby. It is going to be a full. I don't know, Chopper, how to describe it. A full service, probably not the correct terminology. It is going to be a kick-ass broadcast studio in the back of our office. I've already been streaming a little bit on Twitch, kind of going over game film like the, the morning after a game. But we're going to start having some live programming too. Wow. We're going to be recording all our podcasts. We're going to be doing some other stuff, some talk shows, things like that. It's going to be awesome. That is twitch.tv slash Dallas Mavericks is where you can go to follow all that stuff. But again, you can still catch it in its audio form anywhere you listen to podcasts. So Skin, you and I are about to be famous. We're about to be everywhere until people get tired of us. And then we're not going to be famous anymore. We're just going to be hated. But uh, in the meantime, it's going to be one hell of a ride, bud. Yeah, it's going to be a quick uh, trip to space, and then we'll explode and fall into the ocean and be forgotten about. But uh, I feel very good about this because of the people that are involved. I mean, obviously, you know, I've partnered with you on these uh, podcasts for a while, and I feel really good about Bobby Corella. You've got my man Chopper putting the studio together. Uh, I've known uh, our buddy, The Machine, Mike Marshall, for a long time, and he's a really good creative type Steph Revis it's just an unbelievable squad of people uh that I think are going to be a, a big part of Mavs creative now do, do we can we unveil who what is the uh the impetus for naming this studio 41 because I think I have my idea of what it is but I'm curious who came up with that idea well the reason it's called studio 41 is because we tried to make a studio 40 other times and we failed and so this, <laughs> this is just the one that stuck but uh, but no, actually, I don't know who came up with it. I'm I'm assuming it was probably Mike, um, because we we had sort of collectively thought like we need to have some type of studio. We have to go on Twitch. We got to start doing more, uh, like you know, creating our own kind of video content, talk shows, everything like that. Because we've been doing podcasts for a while, but they've just right. lived only as podcasts. And so it's like, all right, how do we take it up another notch? And uh, so we're like, yeah, let's build a studio. And so I'm assuming it was probably Mike. Um, Mike. Mike is one of those dudes that has a really good uh, 
really good perspective on the creative trends of the past, what we like to call nostalgia. And I mm -hmm. think that was very evident. And there's a lot of people working with the Mavericks that do that, but that was very evident on the game day poster series that you would see. Oh, and yeah. it's someone that is, you know, I'm, I'm half a century now and I collect old records and things. I see uh, the origin of the ideas on these things when it becomes an homage and I really, really dig it. And so my first thought is that when y'all called it studio 41, I was like, okay, this is a really uh, cool nod to the very glamorous Studio 54 that ran New York City in the late 70s and was a uh, cultural uh, explosion, so to speak. So I thought, all right, let's turn the Studio 54 vibe into Dirk Nowitzki, and maybe that's why we're here right now. Yeah, and it's very fitting that you have a Dirk cutout behind you, because normally yeah. I have a Dirk cutout behind me, too. He's sort of like the guardian of, uh, of Studio 41, so we got to make sure that Dirk has a a loving, warm, cozy place behind me for all future broadcasts. But in the meantime, we're still changing the configuration of this place like every single day. If you watched on Twitch at all, I used to be in another part of this room. Chopper and I moved the desk. We're putting up some soundproofing crap behind me, and then we're going to decorate on top of that. So it's going to be every single day, there's going to be new stuff changing in here. So it's going to be awesome. But um, you can tell you have an engineering background when you say things like soundproofing crap. I mean, I oh, think yeah. that's a really official term that uh, only the engineers will understand. Yeah, I feel very legitimate and legitimized uh, every day. I just I just get to flex my expertise. Um, Chopper is the one that is actually building everything, and I'm not even telling him where to put it. But I still am sort of, um, you know, I'm contributing. I'm contributing yeah. a lot with this. Um, so I, I can't, we have to be really vague about this skin, but um, this year's city edition, I'm assuming that this is public information when we're actually starting to wear them November 6th. Uh, okay. If not, well, then you just got a big scoop on numbers on the boards. Um, we can't talk about exactly what is going down with all that stuff, but mm -hmm. uh, the storytelling behind the video that we're going to make that or that we're making right now to kind of debut the uniforms and sort of tell the story that we're trying to tell with them. Yeah. You had a hand in help making that happen. And Mike had a hand in help making that happen. And so uh, I think for a future numbers on the boards episodes, we got to go like behind the music and talk all about, uh, talk about all the, the, the making of the video, the meaning behind it and everything, because the thing that we're doing this year for city edition is like one of the coolest things that we've ever done since I started working here. It's something that I'm very, very excited about because it very much speaks to me personally and what my interests are. And uh, let me just say that you said I had a hand in it. Basically what happened was I'll make this super quick and I won't reveal much, but the machine said, what do you think of this idea? And I said, that's incredible. And I made one phone call and he did everything else. So I do not want to get uh, any credit. I don't deserve for this. This is very much other people's doings. And I'm just standing there with my eyes open going bad this is so rad i'm so happy as someone who's lived here my whole life this is amazing so yes dude i am incredibly enthused about this oh you sound like the me of that project like chopper <laughs> does everything in here i just kind of like i'm hanging out and somehow i yeah. get credit for some of it i'm waving going yes as the parade goes by i enjoy your parade y'all are killing it you're killing it yeah. uh okay it's time to talk some basketball man because like i said right off the top the mavs went four and oh in the preseason it is preseason disclaimer. A bunch of starters didn't play in some of these games, yada, yada, yada. But the Mavs do go 4-0. They won one game by 68 points. They trounced the Bucks when Giannis was playing and Drew Holiday was playing and a bunch of their other key guys were playing. Like Chris Middleton was out, Bobby Portis was out. But Giannis played like 25, 30 minutes in the game. 
right. no Luca, no KP, no Tim for the Mavs. They still won by 20 or 25. Um, I mean, how much this is a such a wet blanket, even question to ask, but yeah. What's your takeaway from a preseason in which, like, we didn't see one healthy, t- one full powered team going up against another full strength team? Like, we saw the Mavs starters route some bench guys, and then we saw the bench guys route some starters. Um, I feel good about it, but how how good? To what degree can we feel good about what we just saw? I feel uh, great about this particular aspect of it. They were so efficient. That's really what it's about with preseason is are you efficient in what you're trying to implement and the direction you're trying to go? Because obviously they're not real games. And I would say that the Mavericks were so efficient with their approach and what they were doing, they didn't even get to have a dress rehearsal. Because you can call game three a dress rehearsal, but when the other team is down 70 and – the best player in the world plays 26 minutes. Oh, did he say best player in the world? Uh, then that's not a real dress rehearsal. So, and then they could have remedied that two days later and they could have rerun back the dress rehearsal against that same Giannis and Drew, but they didn't feel the need to do it. The staff collectively did not feel the need to do that. And then the byproduct of that is you get to really see what culture is all about is your bench guys come out there and they are efficient and they route people. And Bobby, when is the last time the Mavericks had really, really painstakingly difficult decisions to make at the end of a roster? I mean, I think back to uh, the John Clavel roster move at the start of like 2017 or 2016 or something. But I mean, that was when they weren't, uh, you know, they weren't really trying to compete for a playoff spot or anything. Yeah. It's, um, it's different. You know, I know a lot of uh, if you're if you listen to numbers on the boards podcast, you're a total Mavs head. So you probably consume lots of information. And you've probably seen a lot of culture and difference. And co- I'm talking about what people are talking about. And, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of the preseason chatter whenever you have a new regime come in. But it's it, it is so drastically different from the last decade that I can't really articulate it in a way that doesn't sound like total fanboy. And you and I get accused of being fanboys, but we want the Mavericks to win every game they ever play. We want them to win championships. We love the team. We love the franchise, but it's not just us saying it. It's people like Zach Lowe and Bill Simmons saying it. If you, if you put stock in what they say, it's, it's not outrageous to have expectations of the Mavericks being a top four seed in the West this year for a number of reasons. Yeah. I think we were saying about, um, kind of the the culture change like noticeable changes really is like bashed me over the head day one of training camp because that was my first time in the practice facility in like two years you know um it's very difficult whenever you're used to you're used to being able to talk to those guys every day and like in some cases we're on the plane with them after games like whenever you're just fully immersed in all things mavs um you really have a pulse on everything that's going on, you know? Right. And last year there was such a giant wall. Uh, the closest I could get to any of these people was the second floor of the American Airlines Center and they're yes. on the court, you know? And so all that I can deduce about the team is basically what's happening on the floor. Well, of course, now, I mean, over the summer, I mean, oh my God, there was, there was all sorts of tea spilled about everything that was going on, you know, in the locker room and in the front office last year. Right. Like, even though the on-court product, for the most part, looked very pretty last year, you know they ended up number uh, number five in the West, and they were awesome the second half of the year and everything. Uh, there was a whole lot of 
there was a whole lot of storm going on, you know, behind the scenes that we just had no idea about. And so whenever you're actually there, whenever I can see what's going on and like hear what's going on and like watch people interact with each other and ask them about it afterward, whatever, um, it just, it's very clear to me after spending a couple weeks around these guys now or a few weeks, whatever it is, like this year is different. And that I'm, I don't mean to say that and like the, they're going to win 65 right. games in the championship, but like this year is different than all other years I've ever been here. It is like I'm around an entirely new franchise, even though they only added like two or three new faces over the summer on the court. But everything that happened off the court, coaching staff, front office, everything is different different mood, different environment, different atmosphere. It's much more competitive. It's much more boisterous. Uh, these guys are much more laid back. They're having a whole lot more fun. And does that mean they're going to win more games? I have no idea. I think that it lends itself to maybe they might do a little better this season. Because right. Strictly because of that, let alone any other sort of, uh, you know, schematic differences. Uh, but we'll see. But, I mean, there is a noticeable uptick in just, like, positivity and fun having within this group right now. Yeah, there's a, you said a lot of really interesting things here, and I'd like to comment on a few of them. <clears throat> Number one, they will win more games simply because they're playing 10 more. Uh, no, and, and, we, <laughs> and we say all this stuff like uh, barring injury, right? Obviously, you know, if Luca misses two months, all right, it's a different world uh, and all those things. And uh, we're excited because KP is healthy. And, you know, I think I'm pretty sure you feel the same way as me on this. I, I, I tend to not pay too much attention to the the chatter, but I never sold any of my KP stock. I always believed in him wholeheartedly and believe that he is a second star that can uh, go along with Luca. But to your point of what you're saying about how disconnected we were, you know, so media people, especially ones that have been around for a long time, they talk and they share information with one another. And usually when you get information, you can, you and I can go down and I can ask a player or I can talk to coaches or those things. Last year wasn't like that. And so when all of the, when all of the, I guess it was around February or so of last year when it was, Hey, KP and Luca don't like each other and all that kind of stuff. It was hard for me to get to people and talk about these things. But one really interesting observation that someone had uh, that's got a ton of insight. It's been around the league for a long time. He was like, and I, I'm not bagging on anybody here. Please understand that. But he was like, no, no, that's a coaching issue. He's like, that's not a player issue. That's a coaching issue. And the, the whole idea being that when you have young stars and these things happen and they always do in the history of all these great teams, you can go find young superstars like, not digging certain situations, that's when your culture and your structure comes together. And Rick Carlisle is the winningest coach in Maverick history. He, they, they won a championship, but uh, it, it was time for a change. And, you know, you've probably, and I, I don't I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I love, love, love Donnie Nelson. And I think he's done, I think he's an amazing GM. And if you look at his track record and I can spend an hour talking about it, uh, I would defend him to the end of time, but to your point, uh, you know, they let me follow Will and Harp go to a practice and, you know, be, be a part of practice. And uh, it is, everything you just said is accurate and it's different. And I've seen some, some Carlisle era practices too. It just feels way different and it feels 
more of like a thing where everyone's invested. And that's not to say anything negative about a previous regime or over glorify a new regime. It's just, you can feel it. It is almost visceral. And I think that's going to manifest itself in really positive ways for this team. And, you know, I know a lot of math fans go, oh, my God, look at what Luca posted about Christoph Porzingis. Oh, my God. What does this it, mean? It gave it me the warm and fuzzies last night. Yeah, but, but that's the whole thing. Like, great players want to play with other great players. That's why all these superstars build super teams together. What's really hard is for them to see that in their early 20s without the experience of the league and the perspective. So that's where it's very important for your structure and your culture to come in and foster all of that so it can grow together. And so an assessment was made that changes were needed, changes were made, and it feels like we're on the cusp of having a really, really positive, impactful season. Yeah, that one point that you made in there about kind of like not bashing on the previous regime or whatever, I feel like that's very crucial throughout all of this because um, whenever we talk about like everyone is happy now, that is understandably taken as like a, you know, like a not a backhanded compliment, but like you're praising J-Kid and, and you're, you know, you're dumping on Rick. That's not necessarily true. Right. Um, I forget who it was. It might have been the great sports Sturm from the ticket. It might have been someone else, maybe, maybe Junior Miller. I don't remember, but um, there was just a it was just a, a list put together on the air many, many years ago, like five, ten years ago, of like that basically proved whenever you make a coaching change in the NBA, the NFL, or hockey, like you're if you make a coaching change, your window to win a championship is like three years. Like that is your golden, because no matter how good you are, no matter how bad you are, unless you're like Pop or Bill Belichick, like unless you're like a living legend among us mere mortals, like you simply the fact that you are a different person than the last guy, yeah, that your message is going to be better received. It's catalytic. Matter. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and the the other comparison I want to make that uh, I've been thinking a lot about is if you if you look at the way this sport is the NBA and it's if you have a Luca or a LeBron or a Dame or you know you know the handful of guys um the X's and O's coach to me is not as important as it's all important I think where you really see X's and O's matter is on out of bounds plays more than anything else uh, because of the brilliance of individuals and the things that they see in advance. Uh, a lot of times, you know, we've talked about Luca LeBron does this steering defenses where they want them to go so they can manipulate the parts, uh, the creases, so to speak. And you see that in football and you see it with a quarterback. And so I'm not taking shots at Mike McCarthy. There's a lot of conversation about what Mike McCarthy is or isn't as a coach. I care way less about it because I think Dak Prescott is a top five caliber quarterback. And the best example I could give you is that you can make the argument that Bill Belichick is the greatest coach in any sport ever. And guess what happens when you don't have a quarterback anymore? The Patriots two and three this year. They didn't matter last year. This sport, you know, football, you have to have a badass quarterback to make up for any other problems. Because when a quarterback gets to a certain level, he sees everything and he knows how to win. This is what's happening with Luca right now. Luca 
And part of it is the age he's at right now. He's got that many, those many full years under his belt. He's all NBA. He's had playoff failures, which are super critical in building you to be the guy you are. Ask Dirk Nowitzki. And then I think the, the, I think where Rick is really incredible is he is a chess master X's and O's guy. And quite frankly, if that is the strongest thing that you have, I think that that is less beneficial to a team that has Luca because he's already thinking three steps ahead of you and he has the ball in his hands. And do you know who else was like that? Jason Kidd. I used to make a joke on the air that Jason Kidd had that uh, ability that, uh, oh, uh, that I'm blanking on the name of the actor now, he, uh, leaving Las Vegas, crazy guy. Nick Cage. Here at top. No, Nick Cage and Carrot Top. But Nick Cage was in this movie where, like, he could see five minutes into the future and then he would panic. And what am I going to do? Jason Kidd, I used to joke on the air, could see five seconds into the future because you could tell that's where he was steering the action. And, and there's very few people that can do that. And one of them is Luka Doncic. And so who do you think Luka's going to relate to? He's, it's like game recognized game. And so I know all the talk about what Kidd is or isn't as a coach. Kid is perfect for Luka Doncic because the things when, when we win championships, the things that Luka will be doing are things that he'll relate to what Jason Kidd can tell him as opposed to what Carlisle can tell him. Uh, it's just different. They're speaking a different language. And to Carlisle, and let me, let me also throw a, uh, you know, in support of Carlisle, one of the reasons they won in 2011 is because Carlisle handed the reins over to Jason Kidd. To, and then we started calling it flow. Well, you know what flow is? Flow is giving the ball to the genius player and letting him orchestrate. That's what yeah. flow offense is. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of J. Kidd's greatest contribution to the title, right? It was like yes. getting Rick to sort of – and the full extent of that, that kind of blow up that led to that decision will probably never be told. I don't know, maybe in a book someday. Uh, what adults. actually Give happened? Us Ten years. Yeah. What What actually happened between those guys that led to that? But yeah. um, that speaks to your point again about like you don't need the X's and O's guy. Like in that moment, J Kid recognized like we don't need plays. We just need to. We just need vibes. You right. know. And um, that was that was Rick's third year. <laughs> like J Kid had two full seasons with Rick. They had two playoff runs. One went to the second round. One they lost in the first round. And uh, that was Rick's third year. And again, go back to the three-year rule. You look at every team that wins the title. Typically, unless it's like some dynasty, it's going to be the first three years of the coach. That was Rick's third year. Going back before that, Avery Johnson. They went to the finals in, what, Avery's second full season of coaching. And in his third year, they won 67 games and they failed. And then he was doomed. He had one more year and then he was out of here. Right. But every... You know, they, they had Nelly, who's kind of this freewheeling, like, hippie, like, let's just hang out and have fun. And then you have Avery, who's like the very hard-nosed disciplinarian. Then you go to Rick, who's like super X's and O's. And now we're going to J-Kid, who's like a complete departure from Rick, where it's like it's all cerebral. You know, right. there's just they're kind of going from one extreme to the other. Um, I'm not hey, sure hey, that... Let, I let, let me say this too right quick, Bobby, because as you're making incredible points about personality differences. And, and the thing, you know, Rick was here for a decade. I have learned more about what the Mavericks want to do from this coaching staff in the last three weeks than I learned under 10 years from Rick. Everything oh, yeah. I had to go figure out 
from watching and maybe assistant coaches would tell me some stuff that Rick would never tell me, man, Jason kid, your, your boy, Jay Lim is practically, is he wearing a Jersey? I mean, he is in every practice getting, and we've shown it on some of the halftime of some of the games Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, and it takes amazing confidence to allow your broadcast team, me follow on harp to come in and the stuff that they're telling us, the information they're giving us, is extraordinary insight that we had to go get elsewhere under the old regime. And I'm not knocking that. I'm just uh, saying, I'm, I'm telling you what the difference is. And it is immense. Yeah. I mean, very media friendly coaching staff. It's That's very sure. inclusive. It's yeah. very inclusive. Yeah. And that isn't like, that isn't a, I want to phrase this carefully. That in and of itself is not a good thing or a bad thing. If right. you allow right. that or don't allow that, but right. The fact that any sort of tactical anything was like guarded as if it was like the nuclear code, that is sort of reflective or indicative of how other things were treated, Uh, whether you're the lowest man on the totem pole in the organization or like the best player on the planet. You know, there are just there are big differences between Rick and J kid, some good, some bad. We'll see. Yeah, maybe the J kid era will go down in flames. Yes. Maybe he'll last 14 years and he'll right. he'll do Rick one better. I have no idea, but um, these are just the notices, the the differences that that kind of you and I have noticed so far, just between them. I, I man, I can't tell you how spirited the practice that I watched was, and I had not seen any. And here's the other thing too that's super cool, especially if you're a nostalgic Maverick man. I mean, it's just a really badass feeling when Tyson Chandler walks into the gym. And oh, yeah. His energy into the gym. And uh, there's Jason Kidd. Oh, and Don Cockstein is still here. Oh, and Casey Smith is still here. I mean, there are – oh, Mike Finley just walked in with Nico. There are 2011 vibes from the standpoint of the things that have been a huge part of the Mavericks' success over the last 25 years – are in place here. And and it just, it feels really, really, really good and really comforting. And uh, I have uh, high, high expectations. And I'm so glad we're not going to be having all this dumb KP talk anymore. The man can play. He can flat out play. And so it's up to the staff to figure out how to use him. And I keep going over this. We are, see what is what. We are, are we not, we're not, we're, what is this, October? We're a year, a year and two months removed from him being all bubble. Yes. A year and two months, Bobby, that's nothing in the, in the arc of a career. And I just felt like so much of the conversation about the Mavericks last spring was just, it was just misguided. Look, losing sucks. I never want to lose. Nobody wants to lose, but you got to step back and go, what are we really talking about here? And, and I, I just feel like a lot of the misguided conversations about to cease. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't, he just wasn't, he wasn't who he is, you know, he Uh, he was a very, he was a very limited player last year, admittedly. So like he was very open and I feel like sometimes that doesn't, that doesn't do KP many favors when he is so honest, because if he has a bad game, he'll be like, I have to play better. And you know, I don't know, you kind of use that as ammo against him if, if you're not a, a KP person. Um, but, you know, he was very open about how he was a step slow. And so much of what this team wants to do on both ends of the floor, of course, have to do with him. 
but especially defensively. And he just wasn't up to par last season, but neither was really the rest of the team. Thank you for right. the water chopper. I appreciate you. Um, even took the label off. That is a, this is a pro's pro right here. <laughs> label is bottle of water. Uh, it's deja blue. Um, so, uh, I mean, if, if he is a step slow, if the guy that's supposed to protect you is a step slow and you get beat, then you're going to have a bad time. Right. And the way defense works is, and this was the, the package that y'all showed in one of the preseason games the other day was J kid talking about trusting your teammate on defense. Yeah. So like it ties into it. Um, the way defense works is in the NBA is you're playing five against the ball, like end space and everything, but it's you're you're like you're one finger on the glove. Uh, you could do your job and still be let down at the end of the play if some other guy doesn't do his job. Right. And if the way things work is you're supposed to steer your guy to, you know, the little the the coordinate on the graph and you do that and then your teammate doesn't pick up the slack and do his job then you might give up a layup or you might give up an open three or you might whatever. And whenever that happens repeatedly over and over again, and you're playing five games in seven days and half your teammate has half your team has COVID and you can't even practice or like watch film to like iron out these problems. Then they just stack up and stack up and it's amplified and you, it's just becomes very toxic. Like I'm not sure that any of those guys liked each other last season just because they were around each other so dang much. And none of them were really up to full strength. Like even Luca wasn't his best self until like late January. You know, they just weren't, they were very discombobulated last season. And so I don't blame them for like kind of hating each other a little bit, you know, and, and they weren't getting any favors done for them off the floor either. It was just a whole, it was a whole mess. So um, I think by, by November 17th, um it'll feel much more it'll feel much more like early 1920 whenever they were you know they were everyone was super jovial uh and then they had a big party in mexico city like i think it'll feel a lot more like that than it will at any point during bubble season last year simply because you know kp is up to standard everybody seems like they're in good shape you know ready to go like physically uh they're definitely good in good shape mentally and um yeah i mean i feel like it's just gonna they're just gonna be vibing out man all season long yeah, I think that was part of like the sort of even though he's a young guy and doesn't have the years, there's a veteran uh, head going on with Jalen Brunson. You know, he, and part of it is his dad and just his demeanor in general. But I think what you're describing was the whole impetus of Immaculate Vibes was he was kind of savvy enough to read the situation and go, we need to promote this. And I really think that's what part of that was about. Jalen Brunson propaganda master. Yeah. I yeah. love it. And, and but it, but it, those sort of things are infectious and they matter. And so I think that guy reads the room and goes, well, here's what we need. Uh, and you know, that that's what happens when, look, this is another, I don't know if you, should we blame Cuban or Donnie or Rick? It was a big mistake cutting JJ Barea from that team. That was a huge mistake. Dilly dilly. Because there was, you know, they were basically all those guys. It, that presence had to come from Jamal for them, really. And honestly, I mean, you and I are big Jamal Mosley fans. None of those guys remember Jamal Mosley as a player. So um, that was a mistake. This front office or coaching staff, whoever gets the blame for that, that was a mistake. Even if he never stepped on the floor, that was a mistake. Yeah. 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 No, I agree. And I mean, they kind of admitted as much because. 
Uh, you know, no offense to, to West Wundu or anything, but I mean, they he was not here at the end of the year, you know, right. so it came down to one versus one. And, you know, they who knows, maybe they made the wrong choice or maybe they could have made a different choice. Um, but OK, so you had mentioned something earlier about um, kind of using KP differently or giving him kind of to giving him kind of what he wants, putting him in a position that he wants to be in offensively. And uh, that primarily means, of course, playing out of the post or at least mid post kind of like, you know, elbow stuff, fulcrum mm -hmm. stuff, um, pivot stuff. And this goes back to the, the age old thing. Remember uh, I had the big we hate math in this country uh, rant whenever we yeah. talked about KP posting up like in yeah. a couple years ago. And all of that is still true. We still hate math in this country and post ups are still inherently inefficient if all you do when you get the ball down there is shoot and that was kind of the big problem at that point specifically is it felt like at that time you know whenever that conversation sort of reached a climax or a crescendo was every time kp got the ball in the post he was looking to score mm -hmm. and that is just not even if you're good even if you are a relatively good post-up player unless you're like dirk level because he was he was a little different obviously but if you're a good post-up scorer, you are still an inefficient scorer whenever you play out of the post. Again, if all you do is look to shoot. But what was very promising to me was in the Charlotte game. And again, Charlotte, no starters, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the first half, for like the last four minutes, basically, the Mavs just took turns posting up Luka and KP for like the last four minutes of the half. Mm -hmm. And almost every time those guys passed out of the post. They took a dribble, they turned, they drew a double team, they broke their guy down, got into the middle of the paint, and kicked it out. And that is the stuff that's really good because you're bending the defense, right? Like if you yes. beat your guy one-on-one -on -one in the post, the yes. whole team has to come crash down and help. Otherwise, it's a dunk. And then everyone is going to be open and the ball can move. It's flying all over the place. Someone's getting an open three. If you draw a double team, again, pass, kick, kick, open three. And then if you beat them a few times with the pass, then they aren't going to double team you and they aren't going to uh, send a guy that's like playing as low man, sort of like kind of soft double teaming. Like they're not going to tilt the floor toward you because they don't want to get burned with the three. And then you can score. And sure enough, with like 30 seconds left in the half or whatever it was, Luca, who had been double teamed two or three times in a row, wasn't anymore. And he just hit his man with the turnaround fadeaway. That is how you play efficiently out of the post. And it's it's not like KP is like, whenever he says he wants to be in the post, it's not like he's just demanding shots. He just wants to feel the ball. Like, he wants Being to part touch of the, the action. Ball. Yeah. And, and KP does, he's not like the best passer of all time, but I feel like he does enjoy passing the ball. Like, he, he, may, he likes making the right basketball play, you know? Yes. Uh, like, he, he kind of likes the high IQ stuff, uh, yes. being a good teammate. And that does mean uh, oftentimes especially in the post that does mean making a pass out of the post so uh, that was kind of an encouraging thing because as the as spreadsheet man um i did get a little nervous hearing that they want to post up more but then seeing them actually do it so far has kind of sort of like calmed my uh calm my nerves a little bit because they are both of those guys are willing to sort of keep their eyes on on their teammates and not just look to hit their man with a one two and then turn around 
I think it's about, I, I think everything you're saying is accurate. I think it's about reading what is available to your team. You know, as far back as you go with basketball, the second you identify a mismatch, you take advantage of it. What you don't want is you don't want throw the ball in the post and four guys stand around and watch a guy go one-on-one. That's what you don't want. And so part of it is the counteractions that are happening once you put the ball in the post, uh, you know, pinch post type stuff too. I'm not talking about triple post. I'm talking about cuts and movement off of that and creating opportunities through it. if you want to be spreadsheet, man, you go, well, we're not taking any pull up jumpers in the 15 foot range. And I'm like, cool, give me Chris Paul and I'll beat your ass all day with 15 foot jumpers in the mid post. It's about, it's about exploiting opportunities. And there's a lot of different ways to exploit opportunities. And what I believe Jay Kidd was saying after that game was, we're not just going to chunk threes. I was sitting there going, and I saw a lot of reaction. I get it. But I'm like, do you folks really think a team with Tim Hardaway Jr. and Luka Doncic and Sterling Brown and Reggie Bullock and Kate, we're, you don't think we're taking threes? Bro, we're launching threes. We're just not going to only do that. It's about hurting people multiple ways. And again, if you go back to the 2011 Mavericks, look at all the different ways that they could beat you. And it's the same thing when people talk about Golden State revolutionizing basketball and they did it with small ball and the lineup of death. And it's like, okay, yeah, they did that. And you know what else they did? They also started guys like Bogut and Zaza Pachulia and all these other guys, and they played that way too. It's about beating your ass every single way. It's about not being one-dimensional and not playing one style of basketball. And that's what Jason Kidd is talking about. It's about they're going to beat you a lot of different ways, and they have the personnel to do it. So if you have this guy, Kristaps Porzingis, that has all these unique, unique offensive abilities, you're not going to go, hey, man, I need you to stand there to space the floor. We'll get back to you. That's not what you do. You keep him involved. You keep him engaged. And like you said, he's always shown that he's a very willing passer. And he's also very willing to immediately move the ball the second that he touches it. Those are big things, man. They matter to an offense. There has been a lot more human movement. Like people are, they're moving around more. And, you know, again, as spreadsheet man, there's a lot of value in just having five guys space the floor, even if you're not moving at all. Like if you have two guys in the corners and they just stand there, that is like, that is mathematically good. But whenever you just stand in the corner, sometimes you do sort of feel like a bystander. Yeah. And if you're standing in the corner for 48 minutes and you only get like four touches all game and you're, you have to shoot whenever you get the ball. Cause if you're open and you don't shoot, it just bogs everything down, makes everyone mad. It's very tough to get any type of rhythm. Yeah. So, you know, they're kind of, I still think the Mavs are going to be like top 10 in three-point attempts. They might not be top two, but I think they're going to probably be top 10. Um, but they're going to pass a lot more. Guys are going to get a lot more touches. And so the, the goal is, you know, the hope would be, you can't really calculate this, I guess, but the hope would be because everyone touches it just a little more often, like you just stay a little warmer, you know, you're just a little more ready to shoot. But we'll see if create, that's true. You create engagement. You create engagement. That that's what that's what you know. Good offenses do. People that share the ball, everyone becomes a part of it and invested uh, in the process. And even if you are, even if you have a limited role offensively, you still need to be involved. And that's that's important. And yep. Luca, as the head of this snake, needs to recognize that and keep everybody involved. You know, I know I'm. I'm 
I'm done talking about Donnie Nelson, but that's what Donnie was talking about in the exit interview last year. He wasn't criticizing anybody. He was talking about the normal progression of all-stars, of elite-level players, because he has seen it. Donnie identified Steve Nash. Donnie identified Dirk Nowitzki. Donnie identified two future MVPs on the same day. He acquired them. So what I'm saying is, as incredible as Luca is, and we all worship at the altar of Luca, he still has growth. And that's why, as disappointing as it was losing to the Clippers in those two series, there's a lot to take out of those things because I don't believe he's done at 22. I believe he's going to be poised to go win lots of championships and will be the beneficiaries of that. But you're not born into that situation. But you're, you're not just you have to go through all those things and learn all those things. And most people learn through mistakes. And Jake has mentioned that, too. Talking about maturity, uh, not just not like uh, emotional maturity or whatever, but like maturity in the sense of it's okay to give the ball up every right. now and then kind of thing. Like he's, he has explicitly said the same exact thing that Donnie said. So, yes. um, I mean, it is, it's, it's a, it's a wise basketball point. I know it ruffled some feathers after a game seven in which Luca had 46 points and 14 assists and, you know, the rest of his teammates kind of, a lot of them struggled. Um, but the, it, there was nothing untoward about that sentiment. Like no. I feel the same way. A lot of people feel the same exact way like that are, that it's are around basketball. this thing. Yeah. I I, man, I'm telling you, Bobby, I talked to coaches that were saying the same thing. It was, and it's not a shot at Luca. No, it's not a, at all. It's, not at it's, all. What it is, is, hey, this guy can be the best player in the world. Not, hey, he's born into it. Let's all sit down and go. No, you coach greatness. You coach up greatness. Michael Jordan was coached up. You, LeBron has been coached up. You coach up greatness, man. You my God, you don't think Pat Riley coached up these guys? I mean, no, that's no, that's not the way it works, man. I just Twitter mentality sucks. Yeah. I mean, well, I think the last dance is sort of illuminating in in that regard. You know, the early episodes talking about playing with Doug Collins and, and you know, kind of everything that happened before Phil Jackson, then Phil Jackson arrives and all of a sudden there's a little more like structure and kind of rigid sort of demands and of course the triangle now is like okay boomer like you know it's like this dinosaur <laughs> thing it's like in a museum but um you know, at the time it was exactly what the nba kind of needed like it was able to just dominate all these these teams that were at that point playing old school basketball yeah um and it put jordan in a position where he kind of had to share it a little more like jordan was he was the scoring champ playing point guard for like sub 500 teams before Phil Jackson gets there. And then all of a sudden Phil's there. He's still kind of playing point guard, but he's sort of one of many because everyone is sort of a point guard in the triangle. And yeah. then all of a sudden he's still winning the scoring title. Right. right? But they're also winning the championship. So yeah. like, I would rather win the scoring title and a title than win the scoring title and get bounced in the first round. Like in order to, in order to succeed as a team, Sometimes the team needs to just touch the ball. Even if even if Dorian Finney-Smith is not as good as Luca, like sometimes he's got to let Dorian do some stuff, you know? And the bottom line to all of this, all of it, is that the reason you push the accelerator down on that is because Luca is ahead of schedule. I mean, and, and I, I think like just even, not even the preseason, I mean, preseason games, yes, but also just the practice stuff I watch. I mean... He is coming in hot. He coming in hot, dude. And he is about to dance on the league. 
And he already has been. He's already been extraordinary. But, you know, the, the talk about MVP last year, I think personally it's good that we had all that MVP talk about him at the beginning of the season and he, quote, unquote, let people down early on because you don't think he learns from that. I mean, he's got everything. He is he has got it all. So now it's fully realized time. And I think all of these things always end up being about timing. And I think the timing of bringing in a Jason kid to work with Luca, I think the timing is exceptional. Yeah. And kind of mentally, the mindset is I'm not going to drag these guys along with me. I'm going to empower them so that they can walk right beside me. You know what I mean? That's what culture is. Yeah, That's exactly. And it, it takes, sometimes it takes years and years and years for people to figure that out. Maybe Luca won't figure it out until he's 25 or 30. Maybe, maybe he never does skin, but something tells me that again, this year is going to be a little different. Like I think, I think he recognizes it because we're already seeing it play out. We already saw it in the four preseason games. Uh, I think that we're going to see it a whole lot. We saw it, heck, with his Instagram post about KP. You know, <laughs> he, like, he gets it. He just, he gets it. He gets it. And you just said something I wanted to echo as we do. You know, that's what we do. We compare and contrast. But Jason Kidd was talking – we had this meeting with the broadcast and the front office and coaching staff, and Jason Kidd was talking about difference. And he was talking about the culture being different, but that it hadn't developed yet. And what he was trying to articulate was that it we're still forging this and it's going, he's, he's like, it's going to be different just because it's different regime, whatever. And he wasn't saying that in a way that what we do is better. And he was very careful not to criticize. Um, and, it, and he wasn't doing it in some sort of diplomatic way. He was doing it in an earnest way. He wasn't criticizing. He was like, look, it's going to be different. And it's up to us to make that difference a better difference. Because you can have uh, a difference not be effective as well. And uh, and so I just think that the whole way that it's coming together is is right on time, baby. I mean, I think it's I think it's good. And and look, you know, they're four and oh in preseason. Preseason doesn't mean crap. We'll see what happens when they go on their first uh, road trip where they 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 give some games away. And that's where you start figuring out what the what the culture is and how different is it. Yeah, I mean, how about starting the season in Atlanta and Toronto? And, like, Toronto is going to be able to – they're playing in Canada now, right? Like, yes. their fans haven't seen them in a year. And, right. uh, you know, I feel like they're going to be pretty motivated to make some noise. So, like, there's a very real chance, Skin, that the Mavs start 0-2, you know? Maybe they start 2-0. and Maybe they go 0-2. I have no idea. But it's an 82-game season, and we'll see. But to your point, too, about uh, kind of, like, it's day one, step one of this thing – uh, they have maybe like the ultimate culture guy in the NBA on their staff now, Jared Dudley. Yeah. So uh, that was that was very wise to, get, to go out and get him. But uh, we'll see how it all goes, man. I mean, it starts on Thursday. This is sort of the last uh, the last gasp before the marathon begins, and uh, and we'll see how it goes. So Thursday, Atlanta, that is a national TV game, right? So uh, Bally will not be broadcasting it, correct? So so yeah. y'all's debut will be. Uh, the Saturday game at Toronto. Is that correct? Saturday at Toronto. And and it's kind of back to the way it used to be where uh, Harp and Followell are traveling. So I last year I did every away game. This year I won't be doing, you know, I'll just be doing a handful, but I will be doing the Saturday game because we're doing it off the world feed because Toronto, uh, Canada's got way stricter COVID restrictions uh, than we've gotten. So 
it was one of those deals where if someone tests positive, you're stuck in Canada for two weeks. So we're going to be doing that for, off of the world feed. So I will be with um, Harp and Followell for the, you know, the season opener on Bally, at least second home game against Toronto. And I don't know what you're, what are you, where are you going to watch the, the Atlanta game? What are you doing? Uh, well, I'm not traveling this year. Um, at least not at the start. I don't think I'm traveling at all. So it's just going to be, I think it's on TNT. Is that right? It is. If you, if you want, if you want, me and Ben are going to have a big, big party up there at Rollertown in Salina. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm mapping it up. We might, I mean, now that me and Ben are on the home of Dallas Mavericks basketball, that's 97 right. won the Mighty Eagle. Dude, uh, that's right. Yeah, so we're going to be doing our Thursday radio show up there at Rollertown. And then, you know, we're going to give away some tickets, too. If you want to show up in person, we'll give away some Mav tickets. So, is that – is that you're giving away tickets to the home opener? I believe we'll have tickets to the home opener. Now, if it's not that one, that's the Houston game the following yep. Tuesday. We'll have tickets one way or the other. We'll have some giveaways, and we're going to be hanging into the night. So I know uh, I know you'll be working and you'll be laptoping away. But if you want to come hang, if anybody listening wants to come hang with me and Ben and Salina Thursday, we're going to do the uh, the season opener in big party fashion, and I can't wait. Oh yeah, you got the you got the Oktoberfest brewing still. Oh yeah, uh, I think we're about to tack it. I think it's about to be gone. Oh we yeah, flew, really? We flew through the lager. The Oktoberfest lager got yeah destroyed but we have a cherry mojito sour is back we have a new uh sour called fat boy fall uh on the heels of fat boy summer and it tastes like a dessert it's incredible it's like a blueberry pie it's so good oh wow and then of course we always have uh i always like to tell math fans about the big german our kolsch dedicated to our favorite german of all time minimal hops with a smooth finish an easy drinking kolsch the big german if you if you do like to imbibe it is delightful. It is delightful if you do imbibe. And if you do, do it responsibly. Absolutely. And there's no better place to do it responsibly than Rollertown. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe I'll see you Thursday then. Maybe I'll see a lot of you on Thursday then. A lot of you will see Skin on Thursday. And then even more, we'll see Skin on TV, perhaps, on, uh, on Saturday. And, and in, the coming, in the coming months, man, we're starting. We're it's starting. It's on, baby. It's on. It's- very exciting. I feel good about it. I know you feel good about it. I know Chopper feels good about it. Studio 41 feels great about it. It's going to be awesome yes. again. Uh, you can watch all of our stuff live, twitch.tv slash Dallas Mavericks. You can also uh, check us out on YouTube. You can listen to numbers on the boards anywhere. And we're going to bring this thing back weekly, as weekly as possible this year. Last year was, happen, last year was chaotic, man. Was last, but we're flushing last year. That was just terrible. Everything about last year sucked. Uh, everything about this year is going to be immaculate. So we're starting strong and we're going to keep finishing stronger, hopefully going all the way to June, man. We'll see how it goes. All right. He's skin. I'm Bobby. That guy over there is chopper. This number's on the boards. We'll see y'all next week.